0: Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, let's go ahead and get dive in today. Last week, we uh, were discussing, and I had all intentions of doing a standalone kind of a a by-itself message before we go into our next series, but I had a lot of questions over the past few weeks. Last week, we brought up this whole idea that God is really for his agenda. And that brought a lot of, Pastor Pete, can I ask you a question? Pastor Pete, what about this? Pastor Pete, what about that? Uh, and, and, and here's the context that we're, we're walking from is this, is that we have this idea that if God is for God, that means he's not for me. And that's not the case. The difference is is that if God is only for you, that means he can be against his will. But if if he is going after his will, you benefit in that process. And that's where we get to see ourselves in this process of what is God doing and why is he doing it? And it's a constant question that we will forever deal with, and that is the character of God. The character of God and how we view him through those lenses will determine what takes place in our lives. I don't know if you're really, I'm sure you are, up to date with current events and everything else that's happening. And if you're not, maybe today will be a little helpful. But have you noticed that we are in a cultural shift? As a nation, it's just a massive shift that has taken place. It's funny because I've kind of reached that weird age where I drive down the road now and tell my kids, I remember when. You know what I'm talking about? Like when there was just a Jax and Millbrook kind of win. Like when you used to drive down the road and McDonald's used to have a playground and a slide and everything else that went with it. Like I remember when, when Dixie and Food World used to be in the tractor supply and the Marvins back in the day. Oh yeah. You remember when we didn't have a Walmart. How about that one? Whew. And eventually, you'll be able to say, I remember when that Publix was just a big field up there by Walmart. We, we go through these remember when things. And you know what's, what's interesting about when we find ourselves in this I remember when scenario is it also kind of points back to how much has changed, good and bad. You ever drive down the road and I remember when that used to be a nice neighborhood, and now it's not. Mm-hmm. I remember when that was a nice house, and poof, it ain't no more i'm watching the world though and as you are too going i remember when these things used to take place i remember when having big issues were not only just frowned upon but now we're at a spot where we have to embrace it there's a shift that's taken place and a lot of people are excited about the shift a lot of people are scared about the shift um Some think that this is a huge seismic earthquake kind of cultural shaking, if you will. And and, and I want you to understand that the world is the world. And you should never be shocked when the world acts like the world. Just like you should never be shocked when your dog acts like a dog. No, Mom. Your dog is not a human. You have to get that out of your head. The problem that we're seeing is that the world has always been the world, but what I'm also seeing is, and if I can just be so blunt, my generation that is now taking churches over is now not only being in active opposition to the world, okay, not only are they just saying, okay, we're going to turn a blind eye to the world, but now we're fully taking church and embracing the world as if we should all be together. And this is a very problematic situation that we're finding in, is because we're not of this world. And if we're not of this world, we should not find ourselves mingling with the world where who we are has to adjust to who they are. Does that make sense? Uh, the Bible says that we are ambassadors of Christ. Now, we brought this up in prayer this past week. We were talking about... God's sovereignty and his finances and everything else, that he's not on a budget, yada, yada, yada. And the truth is, is that in the 90s, you know, there was the eastern block or the western block, I should say, of the Soviet Union when it crumbled and they actually opened the doors for Foreign embassies in the poverty level over in Poland, in in current Ukraine, over in Czechoslovakia. There used to be nations that don't even exist anymore. That's how old we are. Um, and, and used to have embassies there, and everybody was starving to death except for the people that had an embassy, because the people who had the American embassy, which was America, or or a Great Britain, Britain, Britain Great Britain embassy, or a French embassy. They are not subjected to the economy of Poland or to Ukraine or to Czechoslovakia or to Kazakhstan. They were subjected to their home economy. And that's why you see yourself going, I'm no longer subjected to to bring in the foreign nation into my embassy, but my embassy is meant to expand its territory into the foreign nations. Like, why do we have embassies in other nations? Is it so that we can propagate our desires into that foreign land. Now, I understand what we're not allowed to do and can do in in the Geneva Convention and everything else, but I think you're kidding yourself, if we can, a little political side note, if you don't think that every nation that has an embassy in a foreign nation is doing its best to steer the laws of that other nation for its favor. Does that make sense? We're not just there because we have nothing else to do. Like this is why you're seeing things like NATO expand because we put embassies in nations with the hopes that over a period of time, we could influence generations to our side and they would then be like us and be our allies. And this is what we should be doing as a church is bringing in God's culture and expanding his will to the nations. Does that make sense? But what's happening in our churches is that we're allowing the culture to change our influence. It, it's the old movie, The Matrix. Y- y'all remember, I don't remember which episode, which, Which? golly, there's like 18 of them, but the one where, uh, oh my goodness, what's this, who's the bad guy? Uh-huh, not, Neo wasn't the bad guy. I guess it depends on how you watch The Matrix. Um... <laughs> Yeah, he's pro-computer. I get it. Um, The system. Now, uh, (laughs) he also thinks, yeah, Mr. Smith. Thank you, Mr. Smith. When he was taking over everything, remember that? And he would like go to punch somebody and that person would turn into a replica of Mr. Smith. And this is what's happening to the world is that we've lost this idea that we are supposed to influence it. And in the idea of understanding culture, we are now becoming it. In the 60s, there was a revolution, a huge revolution. And I believe right now we're walking into another one. And and I don't feel like you have to be prophetic to see it happening because it's not being subtle anymore. It used to be subtle. It used to be these quiet conversations and a little bit here and a little bit there, but it's fully run amok. And everything is just going crazy. And, and now we have to do something that's crazy, and that is this, is that we used to look at things that were practiced in the dark and call them sin. And then we went from just from that to not only just not calling it sin, to calling it a way or an option to now if I speak against it, I am now ostracized and demonized. And this isn't a, a a a big political speech. I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. This is an issue on both sides of the aisle and the ones in the middle as well. This is not something that's that's crazy. Have you not, Okay, for instance, like have, have you noticed this? Like right here above my head, we're going to put up a, a graphic, um, hopefully. Um, and and the first slide that pops up here is is this whole idea is that uh, we have these things that are surrounding. We've got hot topics. You ready? Like, the economy. Let's start off with that one. What you think should happen. We've hit, I don't remember how many trillions of dollars in debt now that we just had. How much, 21 trillion? Thirty-one trillion dollars in debt. It took us, I think it was 40 40 presidents to get to seven trillion, and now here we are. And it's not a political party. We've had both parties in it. Just everyone's just writing checks. So here's your chance. We can keep going on this stance. We can increase even more government spending. We can go through it and do more social programs. We can do less social pro- You have an opinion. How about this one? Social justice, oh my goodness. I am so into everybody being treated equally that's unbelievable. And I hope you are, too. It shouldn't be a hot topic. But here's the crazy thing that we're realizing is this. Is, is And I'll go ahead now. We've got the military, what you think we should and shouldn't do with the military. Education, whether or not it should be homeschool or private school or private school or online or whatever it is to, to health care. I want to live. I don't know about you, but it sounds like a good idea to have health care, uh, government overreach or government underreach. You have this whole idea of what, 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 what global conf- uh, conflicts are happening, what you believe in China and Taiwan and, and Russia and Ukraine and all these other issues. And you've got what you think the church should be and shouldn't be. And you have all of these things. And can I tell you, in all of these things, people have this, their circles, their islands, their tribes. And if you don't agree with a hundred percent their way, you're wrong. And they hate each other, and who's in the middle? So, who are they all shooting at? <laughs> Have you notice that? If you don't agree with everything that's taken place, you are the problem. All right, I'll throw myself under the bus. How about that? This will be, I'm going out with a bang. So, here we go. A few years ago, a couple. Of, I'm sorry, I'm losing track of time. But uh, a few years ago, it is weird. I watched, and you got to remember my position when I first came in 2015. Is I, I deeply embedded myself with the police department and whom I love. I love those men and women with all my heart. And I watched videos, not necessarily of Millbrook, but of other people in uniform doing horrible things. Did anybody else see any of those videos? It was bad. And you found yourself stuck. Did anybody else find yourself stuck? Because you wanted to go, well, that wasn't right. But if you say that's wrong, then you hate the police. But then if you say that's right, then you hate people of color. And you found yourself stuck. And I looked at it, and I'm like, that was wrong. That was wrong. What happened was 100% wrong. But can I tell you, it spurred on other things that I did disagree with later on. But then when I hit my breaking point of whoa, 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 pause, now I'm a racist. So far, i realized I am a racist, I am a sexist, I am a homophobe, I hate church, I hate Christians because I don't agree with everything they say too, I despise every bit of government because I don't agree with, you're finding yourself in a spot where you are not agreed by anything and anyone. The entire world is polarized in its many, many tribes. And this is what took place when Peter was writing First Peter. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to that in First Peter. Uh, you can start at the back of the book and work your way up if you need to figure out where it is. Um, past all the Gospels, past what Paul wrote, past the letter to the Hebrews, you'll find, you'll find Peter. If you find Second Peter, you've gone one too far. Peter is writing in a time when Rome ruled the world. See, tell tell me if this sounds familiar. Rome, at this season, had the biggest economy. Everybody traded with Rome. They were the number one language speakers in the world. They had the biggest reach of any nation. They had the biggest military of any nation. They prided themselves in cultural uh, golly, uh, uh, bring every culture in under their same banner. Yet you could still have your own culture. You know, like America is the great melting pot. Like, this is what's happening. And what took place at this season in life is, is that Peter is now watching all of these tribes go on. And all of these tribes are taking place, and you've got it all the way from as far as far west as you could possibly imagine, wrap around Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, all the way past Israel, uh, all the way down past Egypt. They're they're wrapping themselves around the Mediterranean, which encompasses a lot of tribes and a lot of people and a lot of ethnic groups and Peter is finding himself writing to this group of people and what you see here is this is, is, is in the very first oh, me, the second slide in the very first part of, of, of first peter he starts off with this and first peter 5 he writes why he's writing this whole passage he says my purpose in writing is to encourage you that's important how many people need encouragement encourage is to insert courage into a situation. Peter is wanting to insert insert courage courage into you. In 1 Peter 5, 12, he's wanting to insert courage into a situation. God wants to bring life and encouragement to your life. It's to encourage you and to assure you, here we go, that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. So stand firm in this grace. Hmm. So this is the season of life when Christianity was not doing well. It's expanding, but they're also killing everybody. It wasn't that somebody got a mean tweet or got canceled. I guess your life got canceled, so there's that. You know, they would just burn you at the stake, or they would put oil on you. And Peter eventually was a martyr, and they wanted to crucify him. And he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. And they turned him upside down to kill him that way. So, that's rough. And his answer is this is that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. I guess this asks me it makes me ask a question. Is is am I operating in God's grace in this season of life or am I so consumed about complaining about this season of life I'm not walking in his grace? you You got to realize is that complaining and grace are in rapid opposition of each other. And if all I'm doing is throwing my hands up and saying the world's going to hell, it is what it is, I I'm I, I, woe is me, I can't believe this is happening to me, I can't believe this is moving on in my life, and I can't believe the, the economy is doing this to me, and my boss is doing this to me, and the health is doing this to me, and the, the Republicans are doing this to me, and the Democrats are doing this to me, and the insert, 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 whatever it is is doing this to me, and you're constantly complaining about life, you're not going to walk in a grace, because newsflash, God built you for this season. In the hardest season you could possibly imagine of your life, you were able to withstand its pressure. That's what he's saying. So stand firm in this grace. What's this grace? That you were made for this. That you're made for this. In other words, you weren't made to be overcome. You were made to be an overcomer. Can you go to the, second, the next slide? It, it, you see in 1 Peter, it says this, is, is that Peter, an apostle, which means he is a pastor of pastors, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles. And elect means you are chosen. He's saying you were chosen by God. That's an encouraging statement itself. You are exactly where you're supposed to be. Not only do you have the grace, but you were picked. Now, I don't know if you were an athletic loser in high school, and you never got picked on dodgeball, but he picked you. The God of the universe just picked you. He chose you as an exile. He chose you in the sense that you are not part of this world. Of the great dispersion. So what's taking place in this season of life is that uh, there's an old adage that when, when, when there's persecution in the church, the church thrives. And that's true for a while. But then they have this historical breaking point and they flee. And what's happening is that the persecution was getting hot and they fled to these areas all over Turkey to Pontus, to Galatia, to Cappadocia, to Asia, to Bithynia. And what's happening is these are all, if you can picture, counties or sections of modern-day Turkey. They're fleeing in all these other directions to all of these cities to run because where he's currently at is so hot right now that they got to get out. And what they're doing is, I'm thinking of my kids, I'm thinking of my wife, I'm thinking of my family. I've got to get out of this spot and get somewhere else. And what was happening is they would begin to scatter, and when they would scatter... They didn't fail their faith. They would just, well, we're new. Let's start a church. What about that mindset has completely blown my mind? My life is so rough here that I have to flee with my family, and instead of getting mad at God, I go, new opportunity to start a church, a new city. But then we have people that stub their toe, and God's not for me. They had this mindset, huh, That what they were currently going through was not bigger than the grace provided for them. So here's the big question that we start off with today. Maybe we should redefine what suffering is. There's a big difference between I'm uncomfortable and I'm suffering. We've muddied that water. In a big way. Somebody made fun of me because of my faith. I'm suffering for Jesus. No, you're not suffering. All you got to do is hit block on Instagram. You're done. The end. I was so exhausted this week that, ah, I guess I'll go to church and suffer for Jesus. That's not, su- going to church isn't suffering for Jesus. Praying isn't suffering for the cross. Reading the word is not suffering for the cross because you wanted to 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 watch something else instead of read the word. Like that's not what suffering is. Is it always comfortable to go to church? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's a lot of times. Take example that I was like, if I wasn't the pastor, seriously, I'm like, I just my back hurts. I'm tired, whatever it is. I'm like, eh, I guess I'll suffer to be here today. No, because you know what I did? I began to rejoice in the Lord, and all of a sudden I realized, you know what, Pete? Life ain't that bad. You can be uncomfortable, and what's happening is that I'm watching a a generation of, of just, thank you, whiners. He said it, I'm quoting him. It's just whiners. And honest to God, like, my entire generation is a bunch of whiners. And you know whose fault that is? My parents' generation. (laughs) True story. Y'all allowed this to take place. There used to be a, uh, you know, the belt of truth used to be a whooping, and that's gone. Like, no, it's, it's this weird spot in our world where the marginalized issues become more powerful than the truth. That's not what suffering is. I, 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 love, I love history, and I love to read, and I'm a big nerd when it comes to any of that stuff. If you want suffering, look back in previous generations. That was suffering. You want some crazy suffering for the cross in a more modern day? Look at the African-American underground church during the times of slavery. That was suffering for the cross. So willing to be beaten by their, their slave owners than to give up a Sunday in church. That's different than snooze or Alexa, 15 more minutes. You want to see suffering. Go back to the days of Peter, like we just talked about. That was suffering. I'm not suffering because my car doesn't have air conditioning today. I'm not suffering because no one liked my Instagram post. I'm not suffering because I didn't have a full uh, buffet at breakfast today. I'm not suffering because I had to buy off-brand peanut butter. Yeah, I was at Target the other day. I've got Target money. No, I was, I was, I was there the other day, and I'm looking at this, this little girl just losing her mind because the mom was trying to buy, was it Market Pantry or whatever it is, Target's brand, of, of plain chips instead of Lay's because they were $3. She was losing her mind. And I'm like, let me help you out, lady. Like, no, I just like. <laughs> that doesn't work. Because uncomfortableness is not equal to suffering. I love this, is that according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in other words, he saw this way before you were even conceived, that you would be exactly where you are. In the sanctification of the Spirit, why? Why are they elect? Why are they exiles? Why are they being dispersed? Why are they being persecuted? For obedience to Christ, Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace Be multiplied to you. See, suffering in this idea of what's going on is that God will work through imperfect people, his perfect plan. And we find ourselves in a spot where we can complain or we can express the grace that he has over my life. I can be mad that I'm working 50 or 60 hours, and I can be grateful that I even have a job. I can be upset that uh, I have a pain in my back, or I can be excited that I can still walk today. You have this issue where you're complaining or you are in grace. And which one is it? Next slide, please. And you're walking through all of these things, and you see what he says in verse 3. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Glory for God. Glory to God. You are saved. You are sanctified. You were picked. He chose you. He picked you. He's raised you. He's done all the work from the dead. Why? And what's it for? To an inheritance that is imperishable, Undefiled, and unfading. In other words, it's not going to wither. It's not going to detract. It's not jaded. It's not weak. It's not gold mixed with other metals. It's not something that's going to be tarnished over time. But but something that will last the seasons. Everything that is currently in your house will probably be in the junkyard of the next decade. This is something that will last forever. Uh, You're you're like, you know, my my grandparents or my parents are are really, really wealthy and they're going to give me an inheritance and all these things and they're going to leave me all of this. Yeah, well, Uncle Sam gets his cut first. This is something that doesn't go to somebody else, doesn't go to something else. This is specifically set aside for you in this season. And I love this because God goes, I know exactly what they're going to need in 2023. So I'm going to set that aside. I know what you're going to eat in 2024. I'm going to set that aside. 2025, I'm going to set that aside. He has this thing laid out so whenever the calendar flips for a new season, new grace, he opens it up and says, here you go. That is one of the most beautiful things about people who do inheritances of large sums of money is typically they can do one lump sum or they can break it out where every year you get some money so you don't blow it all your first year. That's what wisdom would do for a lot of people. What's taking place here and God's going, I, I know what you need, and I'm gonna give it to you. Every season, every day, whatever you need, and you wake up and go, I feel sick, I feel under pressure, I feel stressed, I feel the world's tension, I feel it all. God goes, I've got a grace for that. I've got, I've got a grace to, to do all of that. Thanks, Josh. And it gets to this place where if, he goes, by whose God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. In the last time. I love this. The world is going to get darker and darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. And that's the most biggest opportunity for your light to shine. I can light a, a candle right now with every single light on the sanctuary and it'll be okay, whatever. But if I turn all the lights off, that same candle with the same brightness will look more intense because it got darker around us. Next verse. And we can rejoice in all of this. And, and 6B says this, is that in this you rejoice through now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Well, I thought when we got saved, we'd, we got we to pass. Look at this. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it but is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. I I, I love this idea because what's taken place is that God doesn't shy away from a hard issue. And here's the hard issue. You ready for this? Is that you will have hard times. But rejoice. But rejoice. There will be trials. There will be tribulations. There will be uncomfortable moments and there will be suffering. But rejoice. We if that upsets you, we've believed a false gospel. If that bothers you, we have believed something that's just not true. The world should hate you and actively be against you. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. This is where we find ourselves. And when I look at situations and circumstances, there's a big difference for me going, I'm overcoming the world, and I'm dealing with its issues, and then just life issues. Remember the story in the Bible where they took the blind man to Jesus who has been blind since his birth, and they say, which did he do? Did he sin, or did his parents sin? Jesus goes, neither. Well, that doesn't seem fair. doesn't seem fair at all. Well, what did he do wrong? Well, he didn't do anything wrong. What did his parents do wrong? Nothing. Well, how is that fair? Has anybody ever wrestled with this idea, if God is so good, then why? Am I the only person? Yeah. We live in a world now where we have begun holding God hostage on our comfortability level. We begin looking at his, his goodness in relationship to whether or not I'm happy today. Yeah, and, and, I, and I feel like what's taken place so many times in our lives is that I am no longer looking at the goodness of God in the context of what's taking place in our world, but I'm also looking at God in the context of what's happening in my bank account, in my personal body, and what's taking place in my life. Hey, Josh, can you put up the graph? There's a little graph. I'm skipping ahead, way ahead. Uh, yeah, we have this. Actually, go go to the one before that if you can, please. Right before that. That'd be great. Yeah, go one more. Two more. Three more. Sorry. That's it? Uh, is there one anything before it? Go for it. Let's see what the words say. Here we go. Yesterday, on Friday, I was at a coffee shop studying, and this is what launched this whole thing. This question, out of nowhere, in my heart. So what's worse? That God is involved or in permissing or actively involved in my suffering, or that God is not? Meditate down. Leave it, leave it up for just a little bit. I really want you to dissect this question. So what's worse? That God is involved, whether by initiating it or permitting it, or that he's not. Which is scarier? So here we go. I chewed on this almost the entire weekend. I'd come up with a conclusion and I'd be like, nope, that's not right. I come up with a different conclusion. Nope, that's not right because this question is deep because how you answer this question tells me how you connect with the word. It tells me how you relate to God. It tells me what you think of his character in every aspect of life. What this question does is it tells me what you and I think about God and what you and I think about us. Because here we go. Go next slide, please. I'm, I'm right this time. Because if you say he is involved, then why? If you say he's not involved, then the devil has more power. Look at the book of Job. Do you think the devil wanted to take out Job? A thousand percent yes. Could he? No. God held on to Job. And there was a moment where God goes, sure, take your best shot. In other words, the devil didn't have the entrance and access to do whatever he wanted to. He still had to get permission. How about this? If the devil could kill you, he would have killed you. The devil doesn't have authority in every area of your life. He cannot run amok in every area of your life. So if that's the case, then God being involved in something, now what? Next slide. Now we either look at it and go this, is that God is good or he's not good? Now we break up into two camps again. In my suffering and in my problems, is God good or, am I, or is he not? And this leads us to our threshold question, and that is this. What is my threshold of pain before God is no longer good? So, I wrote a couple things down, easy to hard. Somebody gossips about you, they run your mouth about him, go somewhere. Next. Not a big deal. God's still good because Rusty ran his mouth about me. Psh, whatever. Okay. How about this? Let's intensify a little bit. A few weeks ago, we had some tornadoes. A lot of destruction. Some people lost their lives. Is God still good? Okay. Forgot the why? And when it comes to the economy, what happens if you lose your job? What happens if you go back to 1929? Christine was there. <laughs> she said, mm, I remember them days. <laughs> yeah. What happens when you don't have gas? What happens when you don't have heating? What happens if you don't have air conditioning? What happens when you don't have food for days on end? What happens when you open the pantry and it's just moths fly out because there's nothing there? And you're hungry and you don't have a job and you have no prospects for a job. Is God still good? What happens if you find yourself with cancer in your body? What happens if it's a loved one? See, it's getting harder. What happens if your kids die? Is God good? Killing Job would have been easy for Job. Watching his kids be taken away. Watching his income be taken away. Watching his reputation be taken away. Watching his friends be taken away. Watching his servants be taken away. All this while, he had one person in his life, his wife, going, just curse God and die. In other words... What was his threshold for God being good? And This is the hardest graph that I can give you today for you to figure out where God is in your life. Because we all, yours truly included, have a threshold. And I have been mulling this over all weekend. What's my threshold? What would it take for me to go, yeah, that God, you're not good. losing your spouse you having health issues what is it and this is where it gets to the next slide please is that whatever our threshold is is in opposition to God's character because whatever I say is my threshold and God is no longer good which means that God's goodness has a limit and my pain is is that limit the, the past six months of my life have been chaotic like just absolutely chaotic from dealing with issues internally and externally we're with, with dealing with relationship issues we're dealing with financial issues we're dealing with legal issues we with deal, are with dealing with church issues with dealing with God every single thing pretty much on that topic has more or less been there in my life in the past six months Uh, I got negative reports from doctors. I've gotten everything you could possibly go with. And I go, okay. And it got myself to a spot, if I can be very blunt and honest with you, where I went, my, what's my worst case scenario? What's my worst case scenario? And here's, here's how I've found myself, if I can just be very raw. If I die today... I go to heaven. My my worst case scenario is that I wake up tomorrow. When you can relegate yourself to my current situation is as bad as it can possibly get in my life and death is no longer a threat is a moment that you become unbelievably dangerous. This is how Paul And this is how Peter could go and watch their families and their friends be martyred at a young age to an old age and cheer it all the way because they knew death wasn't the end. Because to them, true suffering was being away from God for all eternity. Getting boiled alive was uncomfortable, but true suffering is being away from his word and being away from his presence. And this is no longer part of the American church. True suffering is when EJ doesn't play my song. Ken doesn't meet, greet me the right way. The church is, isn't set at 72 degrees perfectly every single Sunday. and My hands are cold or I'm hot. No. What we deal with on a regular basis when it comes to our pain and experiences in life is what am I doing and how am I reacting to something that is uncomfortable and is it in direct opposition to God's character? And this is where we end it with this. In Genesis chapter 22, we see this. Oh, I said to this, God requires this of you. How about this? Whatever is your threshold, he pokes. Have you ever noticed that in your life? You find something that you love dearly, and God goes, mine, mine. And you're like, no, stop, no. You ever have annoying brothers and sisters? I do. No. Um, I was the annoying brother and sister. And sister? I caught it, Tyler. You can't jump me. They tell a story that I used to grab my sister's hair at a young age and just pull on it. And Heidi would just go, ow, 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 and that was it. And my mom's wisdom was this. Hit him. <laughs> and would she do it? Finally, after lots of travail, she hit him. Hit me. And that's why I'm the way I am, because I was abused by my mom, my dad, and my sister for my whole <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. So every time somebody goes like this, I just go to the ground. I'm like, Heidi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. I don't even know where I was going to go with that. <laughs> I got on a rant and I totally lost track of track where I was going. God pokes. He, he looks at what you hold and he pokes at it. Can I, can I reword threshold for a second? How about this? Whatever is your threshold is your God. And God doesn't like you to have any other gods but him. So he pokes. Genesis chapter 22. God pokes. Abraham has what God promised. And God goes, give it to me. It wasn't an offering of money or animals. It was his son at an old age, which he couldn't have another son. You know what Abraham did? He says he woke up early in the morning and said, let's go. Let's go. There wasn't a six-month debate. Because Abraham goes, there will be nothing that's more important than you, God. Nothing. Take it all. You made a promise. You got to figure it out. But I'm not holding on to the the gift. I'm holding on to the Promiser, and this is where we find ourselves today. Is in Genesis chapter 22, God requires Abraham to sacrifice his own son. It seems harsh. It seems cruel. It seems ungodly. It seems unworthy. It seems like God is unjust. It seems like God, his character is in question at this moment. But God wasn't intending on killing Isaac. He was intending on Isaac no longer being Abraham's God. As a representation of God giving his son, he expected Abraham to give his son. And he expects you to give up your God. If you're ever dealing with the same pain over and over and over again, and no, it's not your spouse, but if you're ever dealing with the same painful situation over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again, Maybe it's not God being mean to you. Maybe God's pointing out your threshold. Give it up. Give it up. Give it up. Give it up. And there's grace for that season that you were created for this moment, for such a time as this, to have no other God but Him before your eyes. And you can look at everything in life and go, take it all. Take it all. Yeah, your house burns to the ground. It's just things. Well, You're going to lose your life to die is to be be with Christ. To live is to gain. Okay. Well, what about your kids and your grandkids? You know what? God's got them. And this life is just a mirage. It's just a flash in the pan, and I get to spend eternity with them. Okay. It's not that I'm excited about it. Good Lord, I'm not a a masochist. I'm not excited to get hurt. But I'm also not scared no longer. You look down the aisle and you go, what's waiting for me is so much better than where I'm here now, so how about this? I'm going to wreak as much havoc for the enemy as I can while I'm still here. Instead of closing ourselves up in our little embassy and saying, no, we're scared. Don't take my, my things. I'll give you guys what you want. It's called appeasement. I, I could be wrong, but in our recent history, we, we tried appeasement. We tried that. A guy with a little funny mustache. We, we tried that. You know what's crazy? You can't appease the enemy. He just wants more and more and more. You know what the enemy understands? Resistance. He understands pain. The Bible says resist the devil, and he fights back even harder. The Bible says resist the devil, and he will flee. I love that. He doesn't even fight back. Oh, they're resisting. All right, next. Do you you ever wonder why? Why he's so quick to flee? Because there's so many other opportunities. Why waste his time with you? I had this math problem in my head not too long ago, and that was this, is that the devil can't create, right? He, he, he can't create new things, which means that he can't make more demons, right? Which tells me this, is that in the Garden of Eden, then there was just two people in the garden, they had every devil against them. And now we're approaching, what is it, 8 billion people? There's not as, there's not equal, there's not as many to go around. There, there's not. Our mass sheer numbers of humanity are overwhelming to the enemy. He just convinced you to do his job for him. That's, that's the craziest thing. And when I look at what's taking place fundamentally is that if we can have a church that's okay in the trials and tribulations of life, and that is okay with God being good even when they're uncomfortable, and they're okay with God being good even when they're suffering, that is an unstoppable force. Yes. Right. And then it creates positive momentum because then you start resisting the devil and he flees, yeah. which makes things get easier. Yeah. Think, think about it, it's just logical. appease the devil and it gets worse, resist the devil and he flees. Which one do you want? That's that's where we end today. Because next week, we start talking about relationships. And we're going to start off with how we view God in a different way and how he views you. But before we move on, on to that, we've got to look at our lives and go, what is my God? What is my threshold? God, I give you everything I am except for this little piece. And God's not asking For 90%. He's not asking for 99%. He wants all of it. God's not asking you to tithe your life. I gave him 10% of my life today. No. He wants it all. And every day that's a hard decision to make. And and I'll give you an opportunity today to to make that declaration, but tomorrow you're going to have to remake it. And Thursday you're going to have to remake it. And I love this because sometimes the most painful situations of our lives that we will ever experience is actually not God punishing you, but actually God promoting you. The amount of times I've had a conversation with somebody in my office over the past 20 years sobbing that they lost their job, and God is this and God is that, and I just sit there and listen to the next week. They've got a new job that's got better benefits, and I'm like, where's God now? I was just missing. Like, no, your, your threshold right there. You, we saw it. Panic set in. Let's blame God and I want to close with this, is that today, when you go to lunch, when you go to to home, when you're doing your thing, I really want you this next week to really write this down. What is my threshold? And this is my prayer point this week. God, let me have eyes to see it the way you see it. Let me have ears to hear your voice that's comforting and the grace to express and experience your goodness in every area of my life. If I lose my job, is God good? If I lose my friends, is God good? If I lose my health, is God good? If I lose my family, is God good? If I go broke, is God good? If I... What is the areas of my life? Because Job resolved that before the tornado ever hit. Job resolved that before the raiders ever took anything. anything. He did it all. I love what Job says, that I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a covenant. I'm not doing this. doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. can imagine scraping boils off with, what? Broken clay? No way. But God is still good. With every pop of every boil, God was still good. With every hole he dug for every family member and servant, God was still good. With every cattle that he lost, God was still good. It's not a fun message. I want a hoop and hollering message. Maybe we'll do that next week. These past two are kind of heavy, but I want you to get to a spot in your life where take it all. As they say, naked I came into this world and naked I'll leave it. blessed be the name of the Lord. Take it all. So be encouraged. <laughs> I think for me the most part of the encouraging part of this whole thing is that he built me to handle all of this. He's done the pressure strength and go, hmm, she can handle this. She can do this. He can handle this. He can do this. Through my strength, they've been perfected. You can handle this. No matter what takes place, no matter what moves on in your life, you can handle this. you got this. You've got, you got this. In him, you've got this. This is not a call to pick up arms and to, to, to fight flesh and blood. No, you've got this. The fight you are fighting today is between your ears, and you've got this. Be encouraged. His grace is made for you today. and You've got this. I don't know if I can give this up. I know you can give it up. I know you can. I know you have the ability within him to give everything up. You have got this. So God, I just thank you that we've got this through your presence and through your power, through your strength. That today, God, as we wrap this up, that you continue to to shape and shift our mindsets not to be of the ways of the world and cultural where we just whine and complain about everything, but to be active in our per, uh, pursuit and participation of your word and your calling and your grace. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that as today as we all look back and go, hey, I've got a, an issue, a threshold, maybe I've got two thresholds or four thresholds, whatever it is, that God, we can look at it and address it. We repent before you and say, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.